Blog Talk Radio. Weekend series 
We are taking live callers, so if you have any questions or comments for us, you can reach us at 516-387-1306 and press 1 to enter the show. I want to take this time to thank our partners at R&B Music and Major League Fantasy Sports. Uh, you can tune into the Major League Fantasy Sports Baseball Show every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you can catch my other show that I host alongside Kyle Amore, which is the Major League Fantasy Baseball Weekly Show, every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But Zach, let's get to some NFL action here. And we talked about this guy a ton on our show last year. Um, Major League Fantasy Football Weekly, and you like to call him, I believe, the legend of Josh Norman. And breaking news, he was no longer franchise tagged by Carolina, clearly couldn't work out a deal, and just became a free agent. This is possibly the best cornerback in the NFL, suddenly becoming a free agent. Washington swoops in, signs a mega deal, over $52 million guaranteed on this contract. What is the outlook now for the Washington Redskins and Josh Norman, in your opinion? Well, I think it's, uh, the Washington Redskins are definitely a winner here. Um, they they swooped right in when they when they heard the news, and I'm sure um, a lot of teams inquired, um, and the Redskins got there first. Uh, the only thing here is it, it strikes me um, kind of oddly – uh, as as Carolina's standpoint, why they let him go? Um, I was reading some stuff today that uh, Josh Norman did try to um, sign his franchise tag uh, at the last second, and Carolina said it was too late um, for him to sign it. And uh, it makes me think, you know, this guy's been in the league for um, five five or six years, and really up until last year, um, he wasn't a household name. And uh, you know, last year we saw we saw the Panthers go to the Super Bowl. Um, it, their defense was really, really, really good. Um, you know, one of the tops in the league, uh, right behind Denver's, um, if you will. And um, they, they let this guy go willingly, and it makes you kind of wonder, you know, with that and him being in the league for five years, and finally last year being a household name, but. Overall, Carolina's defense was really, really good. Um, doesn't make you think that maybe it was more of a scheme um, that made Josh Norman and not Josh Norman making the scheme. And I guess we'll really see this year um, if, you know, the quarterbacks and wide receivers and offensive coordinators, if they really go at Josh Norman as a Redskin um, landing on a defense that isn't as good as Carolina's. Um, now, the Redskins not do have close. a former – yeah, I mean they they have a formidable defense, but nothing close to Carolina. So uh, I'm really interested to see if um, he's the cornerback that the numbers said he was last year. I'm a numbers guy. Let me so, ask you this, Zach. Let me ask you this because yeah. you, when, as you were as you were describing that, one guy in particular kind of popped into my mind, and that's Brandon yeah. Browner. It was amazing with the Seahawks, right? And then right. all of a sudden with England, very average. With the Saints, very average. Because you go from that incredible Seahawks defense that they had those Super Bowl years, um, you know, the year they got to both years, I guess. Um, and then all of a sudden he goes to New England and is a very average corner. And last year wasn't so great with uh, the Saints. In fact, the Saints shut down that corner was our, was our boy. 
Yeah, Selden Bro, baby. Can't wait to yeah, exactly. see bringing up Bro this season. Exactly. But, yeah, that, so that's a, that's a great point, with, Luke. With Norman. Yeah, um, really Brandon Browner, like you Norman. said, was was a uh, a guy that everyone coveted after the, the Seahawks Super Bowl runs. Um, and then, as you said, in New England, he was average at best. And last year, um, Brandon Browner ranked, uh, I think, at one point, 109 out of 109 uh, cornerbacks in pro football focus um, ratings and metrics. So um, that's telling you something out of 109 You can't get much worse guys. than that, my friend. Yeah. So your boys that. Your boy Des Bryant will be um you know, facing off with Josh Norman twice a year, so that's gonna be a really interesting matchup. Um I know we talked a lot about uh him and like going up against Julio, uh you know, Mike Evans and those receivers in that division. Now he's um, got OBJ and, and Dez. Yeah, OBJ and Dez twice a year and we know the the uh, so I was OBJ and Norman at the end of last season, and now they're going to be playing twice a year. That's going to be some some good television, my friend. Yeah, and not to mention Giants Redskins is a whole other ball game. It's it's you right. know it's a big rivalry. Not a, who cares about the Giants and Panthers when they get together, right. but the Redskins and Giants getting together, it's usually a big deal. Serious, uh, yeah. Let's let's move over to another NFC East team, though. Uh, speaking of the NFC East, and talk about the Eagles' big trade with the Browns. Uh, you pretty much alluded to the fact that this was a strong possibility on last week's show when we were talking about the Rams and Titans trade. So Eagles move up to the two spot in this draft. So we got Rams one, Eagles two. Both of them are going to take quarterbacks, it would appear. Um, but let's talk a little bit about how this trade will affect both these teams and really the first 10 picks or so in the draft as a whole. Let's go with Eagles first, and then we'll talk about the Browns. Well, with the Eagles, I think, you know, it, it uh, first it makes, it makes their quarterback room um, pretty pissed off right now. I'd say it was Sam Bradford and they brought in Chase Daniel. So I'm, I'm sure those guys are not too happy and, uh, they definitely that's definitely true. Um came out today Sam Bradford's like requesting a trade out of Philly as well. Um so he definitely wants out of there. Um the Eagles obviously saw Sam Bradford as a bridge as a bridge gap. Um, you know, a, a guy that's gonna Yeah, right. Um <laughs> you know the the Eagles saw him as a bridge um to, you know, their future and not really the future. So um, they only signed him to a two-year deal, but you know. So I, I think um, for the Eagles, they it'd be a good idea to trade set uh, Sam Bradford or um, you know let him go and uh, whoever they bring in then will get all the first-team reps, not feel like he's pressured by you know Sam Bradford or anything of that nature. Now, um, do you think the Eagles should should trade Bradford, or do you think maybe? They should well, play I Bradford. I was going to say I'm actually as, of a different opinion. Um, I think, I think that I think that the tutelage that a veteran quarterback can provide for a young quarterback is overlooked sometimes. Yes. And although you can argue the fact that yeah, you don't want this young player looking over their shoulder, Sam Bradford has been around for a while. Although he's never really become that player that everyone thought he could be. 
Um, he also does have he does also does understand the pressure of being a top pick too, which is another thing right. to consider as well. Wisdom he can pass on down to whether it's going to be Wentz, likely Goff. Um, so I personally wouldn't trade him. I also don't think they're going to get anything for him really. So why why trade him? I mean he he at least knows. Although it's a, there's a new head coach there now, um, he does at least know the personnel there, um, and I think he'd be more helpful than he would be hurtful to uh, whichever quarterback is coming in. But that's just really my uh, my opinion. What are your thoughts on? Yeah, that? I, I could agree with you on that point, and I didn't even think of well, you know what you said, um, being underrated next to two of, of of a veteran quarterback, and that I think is um, overrated or underrated somewhat and then the other thing that you mentioned that really struck me and I think is even more underrated is the pressure of being a top pick and I think I think that's something that a lot of people overlook um in big time stars is you know taking the burden of being a high draft pick and um some people not being able to handle that pressure and um Sam Bradford could definitely lean the hand to that um so I could definitely see them keeping him around for that for those reasons, um, as well as, you know, you said them not getting much. They'd get, you know, half a, half a dollar to the full dollar um, on their investment. So uh, it wouldn't be wise for them to trade him in a sense of returns because they wouldn't, they wouldn't get a positive uh, return on their investment. But, um, yeah, I think I think keeping him around is not a bad idea either. I don't think uh, they put themselves in this spot here at number two that there's going to be scrutiny either way. It's either going to um, turn out really, really bad and, you know, they're going to get risked for it. You know, it's going to turn out, you know, okay for the first few years, but people are still going to say, well, you gave up this many picks for that for just being okay so there's going to be scrutiny in either way they go that's probably true as well uh, another thing to also keep in mind is i mean the eagles the eagles are you know trying to win now it's not like they're trying to build necessarily for a future and you never know with um you know, quarterbacks come into the league for the first time. You look at Mar- Marcus Mariota and James Winston last year. They weren't bad, but their teams weren't very good. It's not like their teams. The Bucks did improve quite a bit, but the Titans finished with the worst record in the NFL. So who's to say that this young quarterback they draft is going to be ready to really lead a team right now? It's another reason why you want to keep a guy like Bradford around because um, you don't want to just kind of lose this season if your pick doesn't work out for – 2016-17 necessarily either. That's the whole point of having a guy like Bradford around, I think. But, um, I mean, only time will tell with that, I guess. Is there anything else you want to add on the uh, from the Eagles standpoint, or should we go over to the Browns? No, yeah, we can we can move forward here. I think we're good on the, on the birdies. So, um, with the Browns, do you know exactly what – I'm blanking on what pick they – now have what's their first pick in the first round? Do you know? Um, I believe I believe it's the eighth, eighth or the ninth. Eighth or ninth. Okay, so you have an idea. You, you have um, kind of an idea of where you think they're going to go with their pick. I would assume they still want a quarterback. Yeah, I think I think they could 
um, maybe take Pex and Wince there. Um, there's also, you know, some rumors that, you know, the uh, the Jets' name has been um, hovering around Pex and Wince as well. But they're slotted to pick um, at 20, um, one after my Buffalo Bills. Um, so there's been some rumors of maybe even the Browns trading down again um, and picking up more picks because, you know, the experts... Maybe they'll just let RG3 start. Right. Um, Maybe they'll let RG3 start and load up on young talent. It wouldn't be a terrible idea. That's, that's for me, I mean, if if I'm playing Browns GM, that's what I'm doing, Um, but we know that the Browns don't do (laughs) what the, the average thinker would do. They do uh, um, a four-year-old um, frames thinking sometimes. Unless, but, unless yeah. they pull, maybe they can pull what uh, Kevin Costner did in that draft day m- movie for the Browns. I never even saw it. It enlightened me, uh, if you will. Um, I mean, I only saw it once. That was like two, two years ago. I do suggest you see it, though. It actually was a pretty solid uh, football film, but pretty much yeah. he just manipulated the draft and ended up getting both players that he wanted early on by right. kind of pretending he wasn't interested in one guy. And then once the um, once like the pick kind of came about, he traded it down for two picks and got both guys he wanted kind of thing. Um, and right. it's essentially, essentially what he did with a Browns franchise, which is why yeah. I, um, which is why I, you know, correlated to what we're talking about right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think at this point they just need to bring in as much talent as they possibly yeah, can. Yeah, they need RG three can stay healthy, and it is a big if. I think he is just as effective as anyone they're going to draft in the um, right. in the draft this year, at least for 2016. So why not bring in as much talent as you can? You already have a quarterback there who has he, he does have a lot to prove as well. You know, like this is a guy that again was a top pick. And um, it's kind of fallen on hard times. You know, he lost his job in Washington. Now he's with Cleveland. And this is a guy that has some stuff to prove, too. So let's see what he can do. Bring, bring in talent around him and see what he can do. And if he can't, well, then you'll have a good pick next year and you'll be able to get your quarterback then. Right. And um, I think, you know, where, where they're slated to pick right now, um, it's somewhere in the 8 to 10 range, I'm pretty sure, or 7 to 10 range. Um, I don't think Paxton Lynch is worth that pick. Um, I haven't watched a ton of film on him, but from the stuff that I've read from experts saying that uh, they wouldn't take him in that spot. Um, so if I were playing Browns GM, I, I would, like you said, I wouldn't be opposed to trading down and just loading up on talent. They need, they just, they have a lot of holes and they need to fill it with talent, just, just as Tennessee did. Um, Tennessee had a ton of holes. Um, so moving back made a ton of sense and accumulating as many picks as they could along the way to fill their holes on the roster. Um, and that's what the, the Browns need to do the same. Now, if they stay at their spot, um, I'm going to say they they take one of the, the wide receivers, whether it be LeCon Treadwell out of Ole Miss, uh, Coleman, out of Baylor or Doxian, out of TCU. Um, I think if they stay in that spot, um, they might take one of those guys. You know, 
Um, Josh Gordon is facing uh, more suspension with his failed um, drug tests again. Um, they really need a playmaker on offense. We saw Travis Benjamin break out last year somewhat, but he is not a a number one wide receiver in the NFL, and they need that. So um, I wouldn't be surprised no, if they took be, a wide receiver. I like that you brought up Benjamin. That, that, that's, that's a good point you brought up Benjamin. He would be um, he would be a good number two. Um, you know, if there's if there's another big playmaker, like he's he's more of a um, he's more of a facilitator for a number one, if that makes sense. Um, kind of like, and I think he might have more talent. I mean, I'm I'm going to go to the Cowboys because obviously you know they're, they're my guys. But you look at Terrence Williams when he's successful, a lot of the time it's because of a guy like Dez. The way I look at it is they can bring if they bring in and I like get a number one true talent. Number one is only going to help Benjamin actually, and it will help the number one having that second guy there, kind of like with Crabtree. You know I love you know I love Crabtree. Um, he's kind of like with Carr, Crabtree, and Amari Cooper last year. Bringing in Crabtree was the best thing they could have done for both Derek Carr and for Amari Cooper. Not yeah, to mention certainly. Crabtree. <laughs> yeah, certainly. It definitely did help that offense. And, um, you know, with any offense having uh, two really good wide receivers and, you know, having one of them being an absolute stud bodes well for, for the whole offense and especially um, the quarterback position. And that's that's what we're also going to be paying attention here with Robert Griffin and um, his success this year. He's going to, he's going to need guys to throw to. Um, he, obviously the biggest thing is the, his health, but, um, if he does stay healthy, his success is going to be um, a lot. A lot of passing. I know they're not going to want him to to run um, a lot with his injury history. So they're going to want him to do what he's good at. You know, play action passing and some some big seven step drops and quick reads, um, or not quick reads. Uh, one side of the field reads, if you will not having to scan the whole field. Um, so he's going to need playmakers. And uh, uh, the Browns, I wouldn't fault them for taking one of those three wide receivers that um, all have NFL talent and are ready now to make an impact in the league. And we've seen we've seen the receivers probably be the most successful out of any position coming out of the draft the last couple of years too, right? So. That's yeah, kind of another definitely. that's kind of another big point. They all they all seem to be succeeding. Let's go over to uh the final NFL topic I wanted to discuss before we head over to some NBA action. Um that's Tom Brady, a guy that we both made very clear on our other shows. We're not really big Brady guys. You obviously as a Bills fan and I'm just not a fan of any uh Boston area sports franchise <laughs> uh, myself. So um, with that combination we have, we're not big Brady guys. Um, both disappointed last year to find out he wasn't suspended. And this morning I wake up to this news that um, appeals court has suspended him and he will be missing the first four games of this season. So with that being said, firstly, what are your thoughts on the fact that they finally did hand down a suspension? And what does this mean for the Patriots? Well, first, I think 
um, as far as the NFL, I mean, as a Bills fan, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that it happened. And, you know, my hatred for Brady, and, yeah, he's getting punished. But honestly, I, if I'm staying unbiased here as, uh, as a sports fan and just wanting um, to have the best possible outcomes for, for any sport, all sports, you know, just wanting things to happen in the right the right sense. I don't I don't think it's right that they hand it down now. Um you know, two years after the fact. Um I think it really just looks horrible for the NFL that uh they they handed down the suspension last year, you know, in the four games and then um it's upheld and they they take it away. And now they're gonna do it again and put it down for oh four games. Um but we know Brady's going to try and fight it because it's it's his legacy on the line. It, it's not so much um, the four games and, oh, I want to be out on the field for these four games to be able to secure a, a, a better spot in the postseason with those four games. I mean, I would say that's a big part of it, but it's more so his legacy, and he doesn't want it to be tarnished. Um, I just think it looks really bad for the NFL. And then in terms of the Patriots, um, they have uh, the Cardinals, the Bills, the Steelers, and I think I can't remember who else they play in that first four weeks. But um, there were some tough opponents in the first four weeks, and they could they could get off to a slow start um, and lose two or three of those games. That's gonna you know push them back and make them really fight for that number one spot that they usually have going into the postseason. Uh, what do you? How, what's your take on, on this part, um, taking the bias out of it? As we both said, we're, we're uh, non-Brady fans. So uh, do you think this is the right call, um, taking out our hatred for Brady? Honestly, I think it is the right call because I think the NFL realizes that they really messed up last year. Um, I think that they really realize that they made, they, they, they made a mistake um, of not suspending him when they should have. And at this point, to me, um, I mean, he should have been suspended. And, I mean, we were talking about it. Um, I think I feel like we've already talked about it on this show, actually, already. Um, it kind of set this precedent, like, well, if you're a big star and we fight hard enough for you, you won't get penalized. You know, yet there was these suspensions handed down to other guys for the drug policies and whatnot. What makes the drug policy rule more um, important than cheating in, in a game? To me, it's all the same. You're breaking the rules, you're breaking the rules. and You should be reprimanded for it. Right, yeah, I, I get that. Um, I totally get that. I just, I feel like it's just going to look bad for the NFL. Um, I think it should have happened last year. Um, and oh, now it 100% is. 100% right. should have happened last year. I'll give you that for sure. It is right that it, that it is happening now. Um, I'm not going to argue that point. I think it's definitely, if you're going to get something right, get it right. Even if it takes 10 years, you know, they say slow and steady wins the race. So at least they are getting it done. Um, I just think it looks really bad on them. I, I feel like. Um, had they not opened up the gyro worms again, um, there wouldn't be 
really questions about um, the NFL, and now there's just they open themselves up for for scrutiny. Um, I don't think they're going to gain any any positive embellishment on opening this can of worms back up. I think the only thing they open back up is allowing themselves to get scrutinized again. Uh, you know, they're having this. You know what? Don't think the NFL is going to get scrutinized regardless of what they do. They're always being right. scrutinized for something. That's true. That's true. And you know, it's just the some of the stuff they that gets you know um, shown in the media is like this great relationship between Robert Kraft, the Patriots owner, and and Roger Goodell, and now like they they go and do this and you know in the media we'll never really know we're not we're never going to be to that um high level of those two gentlemen to know how those kind of interactions really work but um you know they have this buddy buddy relationship and some say that the nfl is covering up this huge tarnished patriots legacy and But we'll never know what goes on between closed doors um, with that kind of stuff. Um, so maybe it's it's something that will – I think the when they took away their first-round draft pick, now that's something that I think can really hurt them. Um, I think having great spending four games is just something um, – the Patriots are just going to get – they're going to get through it. I kind of – epitomize them as like the, the St. Louis Cardinals of um, baseball as it's kind of like the next man up. It seems like whenever they get a guy that's hurt, um, their next guy comes up and fills in. Now, granted, um, this isn't with their star quarterback, and that did happen with Matt Castle. Um, you know, he came in and took them to the playoffs, but the quarterback's the most integral part of um, an NFL team, and missing him for the first four weeks, I think they'll still come out of it, you know, at least two and two or maybe three and one. So I don't think it's going to, as far as the Patriots, I don't think it's too too much cause for concern if you're a Patriots fan. Yeah, and taking nothing away from Brady, because he is a phenomenal talent, a great quarterback, one of the greatest of all time, one of the smartest of all time, one of the most clutch of all time. Uh, this is a good Patriots team, though, very well-coached team. And I would say I'd be shocked if they didn't go at least 2-2 two and two in these games without Brady. Yes, Brady is extremely important to their overall success, but I just don't see them falling apart in the early going just because they're missing one player. That's just very un-New England-like. And I, like, I do like your comparison between them and uh, the Cardinals as well. The only difference is that uh, – is that um, football, you know, with the, with the Cardinals, they yeah. lose Adam Wainwright, let's say, which could technically realistically be the equivalent to losing a Tom Brady. Um, it's a lot less impactful if the Cardinals lose Wainwright than if the Patriots lose Brady. Um, so, again, we'll have to see. Um, but let's uh, let's go over to some NBA action. I want to get through these matchups kind of quickly, um, just because there's a bunch of baseball stuff too to deal with today. Um, Raptors Pacers two two series. Pacers took game one in Toronto. Raptors win two games in a row, and then have a really terrible outing again in game four. Um, pretty much classic Raptors fashion uh, here. 
for the um, at least come playoff time. Where do you see this series going? Do you think if the Raptors can go home game five and win game five, they can win this in six? Or do you see this being a seven-game series? Uh, I think it probably goes seven just because I feel it's the nature of both of these teams. They're kind of both um, inconsistent at times, um, hot and cold and streaky, if you will. So um, It's just frustrating because the Raptors are such a better team. Like, overall, they're yeah, a better they, team. They certainly are. Um, they've got two stars in Lowry and DeRozan and versus, you know, the one star, Paul George. Um, but, yeah, like a – they're just they're both inconsistent. I think they get they can get hot at any time and um so maybe maybe at you know, only six um six games because one of these teams gets hot and they just win the next two games. But I think if that were to happen it's it's Toronto because as we said, I, they're just a better team. Um the Pacers they they're struggling to find a fifth starter. Um they put in Lavoy Allen, um uh, Miles Turner, the rookie, so they're really looking for a fifth guy still for their rotation. Um, so I think I think if it's anybody, it's going to be the Raptors. And like you said, they had a poor outing game four, but I think they bounced back, um, bounced back with a game. Well, Zach, that, Zach, you know, Zach, let me ask you this because you're you're the, the basketball guy between the two of us. Um, I'm not a, I'm not huge on basketball. I mean, you know, I, I I know who players are and I know who's good and who's not team wise, but I'm not really as as you know equipped as the in depth analysis as you might be. But from a Raptor standpoint, it seems to me like if they can get uh, Jonas Valanciunas the big center going a little bit, he creates quite the mismatch for the Pacers. And I think it was I don't know if it was I think it was game two maybe where I think in the first half he had like. 17 rebounds and 17 points or something crazy like that. I mean, this is a guy that could, I think, to me, is the X factor in this series. Yeah, he certainly is, and that's, um, you know, the one spot the Pacers were, were struggling to um, find the guy that could guard him. They tried Miles Turner on him. Uh, they have Jan Mahimi, uh, but he's uh, prone to get himself into foul trouble um, often. LaVoy Allen, the other big guy, is not, not really a defender. He's more of a, um, a scorer, if you will. He tries to score the ball. Uh, but, yeah, Valanciunas uh, is definitely um, an X factor in this series and has uh, shot over 12 uh, field goal attempts in, um, I believe, three out of four games thus far um, in Two of those games were huge games, like you said. The, the one that he had 17 boards at half, and I think uh, finished with 20 20 plus rebounds. And for a guy that uh, wasn't featured a ton in their offense in the regular season, a guy who's battled injury um, in the regular season to get double digit shot attempts up um, um, is really is really striking. And I think. Uh, it adds another element to, to Toronto's game that we didn't really see a ton of in the regular season, but we know um, postseason with any sport, um, the game changes once playoffs start and teams uh, putting everything out there on, on the court or on the field, uh, wherever, wherever they're playing. Um, so I think we're seeing, we're seeing it all here 
And I think, you know, he could be an X factor. We'll see if Tamara Carroll can uh, get back to where he was before um, having the knee injury um, that landed him the big deal in Toronto. That could definitely be a huge, huge boost for the Raptors as well. I know last week we talked about them uh, maybe not being so much a threat anymore after having a bad outing. But I think if they get um, Val Tunis, what they're getting from him, if they get uh, Demary Carroll, like we saw with the Atlanta Hawks, I think they can still give Cleveland a run for their money. So it's going to be interesting. Um, But I still think Toronto wins this series. Yeah, I mean, to me, this is kind of like if they if they can um, get through this series, anything's possible. You know, once they get that once they get that monkey off their backs, so to speak, um, you know, they get through this run and realize, okay, we can win a playoff series. They're as talented as anybody, in my opinion. But I'm a little biased. Let's go over quickly here. Simple as this: Is Golden State going to win this series with or without Curry? Even if, you know, I mean, with her, and I don't even mean without Curry, a standpoint of him not playing, because he did suit up in the last game, but without Curry maybe being Curry. Do they even need Curry to be Curry to win this series in um, in five or six? No, I, they, I certainly don't think they do. And, I mean, we've obviously seen that um, over the past few games that they can win without um, Curry. But I think uh, after this round, um, where they're likely to face the Clippers, I think they'd have a they'd have a hard time with the Clippers if they don't have Steph Curry, and um, we'll likely find out later today when the MRI results come back. But um, there's three different uh, strains of the knee. There's one, two, or three, um, and they said as far as they know, he's got a grade one or two strain, uh, and he's gonna miss some time definitely with it. Um, so. You know, I think the Clippers. Uh, you know, they're gonna they're gonna give Golden State a run for their money more so than people thought um, with this injury because even when Curry does come back, he's not gonna be fully uh, fully healthy with that knee. And although he's the greatest shooter in the NBA, he does a lot with his quickness um, in small spaces and um, getting his other teammates open. Um, with his ability to stretch the defense and um, dribble through the lane. And without that uh, ability, um, I think it's going to give the Clippers a, a fighting chance in the series and could stretch it to six or seven seven games with Curry in the lineup. But um, it's definitely making the playoffs more interesting, that's for sure, because we're, where I thought, and I'm sure many others, that Golden State is going to breeze through pretty much everybody, and then through the championship as well. Um, this makes it more, definitely more interesting, um, uh, especially with with him going to be missing some time, and then when he returns, he's not going to be 100% Steph Curry. And it, you're totally right. It does make things so much more interesting because unless you're a fan of a team, you really never want to see a sweep in the playoffs. You want to see an exciting series that goes at least six. Because uh, that's, that's the point of the playoffs. It's supposed to be exciting, supposed to be thrilling, and it's supposed to be the best of the best. So to see a series that goes for nothing like this first series, let's say, um, it's just anticlimactic. It's almost boring because what's the point of what's the point of watching if you just know that what the end result is going to be? But let's uh, let's go over to some baseball stuff. 
two topics I want to talk about specifically, and then we can discuss a couple of the weekend matchups. The first one, really just um, an amazing feat for Jake Arrieta. Uh, another no-hitter, a nine-start span between no-hitters in the regular season, uh, dating back to last year's. And um, the third, he's actually third in Major League Baseball history now, um, in the shortest span between um, no-hitters. And he's kind of t- picked up right where he left off last year. And there's a lot of people questioning whether that was going to be the case or not. And with all the stars and the aces, I should say, that have been struggling so far this year, besides maybe him and Chris Sale, I guess, Chicago's immune to the uh, to the ace um, to the ace issues that are going on right now. Um, he's he's been you know one of the best players, not just pitchers, but players in baseball since uh, July last year. And um, it's really just an amazing story because, you know, I think it was two and a half, three years ago, he got, you know, pulled in like the fourth inning of a game when he was pitching for the Orioles. Later was, you know, shortly after was traded. And all of a sudden, I mean, I guess kind of shows it's a product of environment. It really is. Um, the right coaching, the right, um, the right mindset, the right place to be playing. And clearly everything is clicking right now with him as a Chicago Cup. Yes, certainly. It certainly is, and um, he's just been an absolute monster um, ever since the start of last year, really. And the ERA is just unbelievable, um, especially in the last, you know, nine starts um, between no hitters. It's just, but it, but uh, ERA overall has been just sparkling um, since joining the Cubs, and you can see as uh, when he's pitching a no hitter, he's just in a different zone. He's he's in a different world. Um, not until like he saw the outfielder make the catch did he kind of snap out of it and like celebrate. But until then, he was just in an absolute zone. And, and you know, you hear a lot of a lot about that kind of stuff in baseball um, about pitchers being in zones and not wanting um, teammates to talk to them because um, they're just locked in on the bench and now trying to break their their concentration. Um, and the funny thing is the Cubs scored 16 runs in this game. So usually with the no-hitter, you know, you want it, you want it, uh, the in-between innings to go quickly so your pitch can get right back on the mound and pick up right where he left off. But this team was smacking home runs. They were They were running out ground balls, you know, that were hitting the infield, trying to beat out ground balls, and you know, it was pretty funny watching um, some of the Cubs uh, beat writers and whatnot on Twitter saying how, uh, you know, stop trying to beat out ground balls and uh, battling at the plate when you when you want your pitcher to throw a no-hitter here, so it was, it was pretty humorous as well, and good for Jake Arrieta, as you said, with the Orioles, Orioles, this guy being traded for pretty much absolutely nothing. Um, so, yeah, good for, good for Jake and, and good for the Cubs. Absolutely. And, um, I mean, it, it's funny to say because people are still commenting, oh, imagine if the Orioles still had him. But if the Orioles still had him, he may never become the pitcher that he is now. 
So, right. um, you know, like he, he may he may have fizzled out kind of like a Brian Mattis did. Remember, he, he was highly touted too. Um, Chris Tillman was highly touted, and he's had a good year. But, um, you know, some, some of these guys, who's to say that Chris Tillman isn't traded, that he might also find success somewhere too. Some guys just don't enjoy pitching in certain places. Um, let's go over to a, what, another interesting story at one point was a fantastic story, and now we've got to kind of question whether it's a little tarnished or not. Chris Colabello um, played in independent league for at least seven seasons, I believe. Um, got a crack with the Twins, I think, two seasons ago. Really had a nice little stretch, kind of fizzled out. Uh, found his way over to the Blue Jays organization, who does have a tendency of really um, getting hitters to kind of find their stride. You've seen it happen, obviously, with Batista and Encarnacion, and you even saw Josh Donaldson have the best season of his career um, after joining them last year. So um, it was a little bit of a fluke, I thought. Yeah, maybe, but he really was a huge part of this roster last year. And all of a sudden, you know, this news comes out, 80-game suspension. The first question is, you know, is this great story of his tarnished? now because of it, and how does this impact the Blue Jays? Are they going to miss this guy? Um, we know they have tons of offense already, but I've heard a lot of things about him being one of the, the, more, the bigger leaders around the clubhouse, a very clutch player. They like his defense much more at first base than they do Justin Smokes. So taking all these things into consideration, what does this look like now? Um, from a Blue Jay standpoint, a baseball fan standpoint? Well, um, this is why I like going to uh, Ponderosa with you, Lou, uh, because I can go over and eat, you know, mashed potatoes, and you can go and eat dessert. And, you know, I'm I'm talking about, you know, being equipped to talk basketball, and, you know, I'm going to – I'm going to go to you for the baseball input, but I'll just give you my two cents. Um, but you as, as a Toronto fan and uh, better equipped um, just in terms of the, the whole overall baseball, um, I see it as, um, you know, it's definitely being tireless and he was a big proponent of the roster last year. Um, but, it's, I mean, we're not, at least we're not talking about a Hall of Famer or anything, you know, being tarnished by by an eighty game suspension. Um, but it is it is still sad to see a guy that, you know, like you said, played independently, um and got a shot and did did really well with it to come down with this and say, Well well, I guess it was more of a excuse me. Um so yeah, I think he's definitely uh better equipped as a defender than Justin Smoke, and I think we saw that, and I think it's evident by just the amount of at-bats Colabello got versus um, Justin Smoke over the last uh, last year and the start of this season. Um, Smoke definitely was seeing uh, less at-bats than Colabello and playing um, particularly against, you know, uh, righties, or is it left? Is, is Smoke... And for right Smoking a switch hitter. Smoking's a switch hitter. Um, yeah, he's Colabello a switch hitter, but he, he yeah, hit one. Both righties and lefties. So, really, once Colabello kind of came in and 
established himself as a consistent contributor. Smoke probably just right. a lot of time anyways. It was used more as, as a pinch hitter, um, actually. But going right. forward, they're going to be putting a, there's a lot of pressure on Smoke now because he'll likely be getting to play every more. day. Going to have to hit versus righties and lefties. He's going to have to play solid defense. And by by the way, um, just so we're clear, I'm not a Toronto fan. Remember that, because I, I don't like the Blue right. Jays at all. They uh, they compete with with my boys. Yeah, I am. True. I yeah. Team from Toronto though. I am a big Raptors guy and a big Toronto Maple Leafs guy. But I do not care for the Blue Jays, and I do not care about Canadian Football League either. Back <laughs> 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 to baseball. Back <laughs> to baseball though. Um, yeah, Colabello, it was a great story. But you know what? What actually bothers me the most, and um, I, almost, I almost was going to cut you off because you, you, made, you made a point, and it's a fair point. He's not like he's a Hall of Fame career, but that's what frustrates me the most about this whole steroid thing is that, so what? I mean, this, this right. proves all the points that I've been trying to say for years about this whole steroid era thing. It wasn't just the Hall of Fame guys. Why, right. are, you yeah. picking, why are you picking on the A-Rods and the Clemens and the Manny Ramirez and the Sammy Sosa and the Mark McGuire's when there's hundreds and hundreds of other players both throughout the major leagues and minor leagues who no one even knows about who are also taking these drugs? It was just part of the era. It's just, it's just no. you know, nowadays, what Colabello is doing, anyone who gets suspended now is actually worse, in my opinion, because now they've actually cracked down on it, and it's legitimately become cheating in Major League Baseball, whereas before, during the time that it was going on, there was no suspensions, there was no um, punishment for doing it. It's actually worse to be doing it now, because when it was going on back then, it was actually the norm. Right. And that's that's a really great point, Lou, and um kind of makes me think about it a, a little differently as you said that. Um, you know, we do, we do uh, as a society, tend to uh, gravitate more towards the polarizing stars and the big-name players, the big-name politicians, the big-name any, big-name stores, big, just big-name anything, if you will. But it's, it wasn't just Barry Bonds and Tammy Stokes. It was the whole generation of players. So um, it's, it's like you said. So what is right? So so what? That's what that I'm it, exactly. It's not a whole exactly. thing. Tell me, call call me crazy, but I really think they should open up a wing in the Baseball Hall of Fame titled the Steroid Era. Yeah, I I've heard that those guys that are argument being the Hall of Fame. How can right. you wipe out yeah. a 15, 20-year span of great professional hitters? It's, right. It's, and, it's and not right. And you, right. You just call it the steroid era. Yeah. And, you know, where where do you put the line then, you know? Like, they could say, oh, well, this guy was in the steroid era. This guy was at the, the tail end of the steroid era. This guy was at the, at the beginning of the steroid We'll just put, yeah, you could make it freaking whole side room, put an asterisk above the the frame of the door. And, and yeah, right everyone calls it the steroid era already. Right. I mean, so, like, why not title it the steroid era? And everyone everyone will know, okay, well, a lot of these guys, these, these guys were using performance-enhancing drugs. They still put together Hall of Fame careers. But it's yeah. not like everyone who steroids is going to be in there. There's a select, there's, 
eight to ten it's, names that I can that we can think of on the top right. of our head that do deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And another it thing, is, and then you start to look at the home run records again. Yeah, it's a steroid era, so you don't have to put Bond or McGuire or whatever any of those guys in the record book for beating Maris or for beating Hank Aaron. But in that steroid era, in the steroid era room or wing or whatever you want to call it, yes, Barry Bonds has the most career home runs, but he played in the steroid era. Right. So people understand Um, the difference. Mark McGuire did hit more home runs than Roger Maris did, but he played in the steroid era. It is absolutely insane um, yeah, to just totally disassociate these guys with any of the great numbers that they put up. If you like, just because you take steroids, if I if I right now went and got steroids and shot them in my butt, doesn't mean I can go out on the baseball diamond and hit a ninety-eight mile per hour fastball. You can't. An exactly. average human being cannot do that. The steroids helps with their power, but. You still have to be able to uh, sit on a breaking ball after seeing a 100-mile-per-hour fastball from Randy Johnson. You still got to be able to... be able to square the ball up, regardless. Yeah, to be able to do that is is absolutely insane. And you have a steroids help, but it's insane to be able to hit. I mean, I was looking at stuff online, and there's... I didn't read the article um, in full, but it was just titled uh, "Hitting a Major League Fastball Should Be um, Physically Impossible," and it was a, like a science article um, that they're like proving that you know hitting a major league fastball should be humanly impossible. I'm guessing with different kind of measurements and numbers. Um, and yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's a, it's a right and. And, it's just, and to go with yeah. what you're saying, Zach, go with what you're saying, I mean, I'm kind of saying the same thing, but I think I'll be phrasing it a little differently here. It's like you look at these minor league players who are taking steroids, and they couldn't even get to the major leagues. Just because you take these steroids doesn't make you a superstar. It doesn't right. give you more skill. It might help with your training regimen. It might help you hit the ball a little further. And those are things to be considered. I mean, obviously, you know, there are probably a number of home runs that Bonds and A-Rod hit that were helped by the fact they were stronger hitting the ball further. But it doesn't stop. It doesn't, it doesn't mean they weren't hitting the ball and squaring the ball up and having phenomenal careers before and after they might have been taking the steroids. And- um, and just think too, like your their swing path is the same, regardless of whether you take a pill or a shot or not. You still have to have that perfect swing path. And I'm, I'm doing a gesture right now as I'm sitting down. You know, opening your hips up and and really um, getting your your hands even with the ball or under it and having having that proper swing path to lift the ball into the air. And steroids don't and give you that. To, it's it's training. Don't forget about don't forget about the fact that these a lot of these guys were premier base stealers too. Premier, right. I mean, maybe not maybe not many, but Bonds was a base stealer. Arrow was a base yep. stealer. Arrow was a Gold Glove Award winning shortstop um, before he moved right. over to third base. I mean, this is steroids don't make you a Gold Glove winning shortstop. You're a gold glove winning shortstop right. because you have great instincts, a very strong arm. I mean, he wasn't on steroids when he was drafted, you know? Um, I mean, do you know he, that? <laughs> and the interesting thing is, the one thing, the one thing 
that I should say, though, about this whole steroid era thing is, what do you do about Ken Griffey Jr., Derek Jeter, and Mariano Rivera? Because you can't put them in that wing because they were clean. But they did. They were like the only three guys you can really think of that are for sure going to be Hall of Fame guys who played the steroid era who didn't use steroids. Um, so that's a little bit of a tricky situation with those guys. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, you're saying era era didn't use steroids. No, no. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm saying Ken, Ken Griffey Jr., Derek Jeter, and Mariano Mar- Rivera. Oh, all played Jeter. in that okay, steroid era, but didn't use steroids. Yes, definitely. That that's a that's a tricky proposition, and that's a great point. I mean, um, it makes it makes the legacy of those guys even even greater um, to strive in that era of baseball. Um, and as far as we know, you know, not using steroids and having um, such great numbers in that time is is just absolutely insane. Um, and I know we don't talk about fantasy, uh, but, you know, the one thing with Mariano Rivera, too, just think about all those great players that he faced that um, were in the steroid era. And a number that, you know, I've you look at um, in the fantasy realm, um, for hitters, BABIP, um, better average for balls in play, same metric, um, and some a lot of people say, you know, Saber and say that Babbitt for pitchers um, is rather luck-driven, so you can't really use that um, against a pitcher's numbers and say, well, his Babbitt is this or his Babbitt is that because it's all luck-driven, um, whereas you can use it uh, for a batter and determine some things. But the only player that makes you think that Babbitt can be used um, for a pitcher in some instances, Mariano Rivera, he always kept his BABIP really, really low. So his batting average for balls in play stayed really, really low for his whole career and never fluctuated. So that that makes you think that it's not such a luck-driven number then. If, if one guy could keep it consistent, that means that it can be done. Um, so it just goes yeah, I mean, to show that we can... Yeah, if you have one dominant pitch that not only has incredible movement uh, and full velocity, at least for the you know first 10 years of his career, but command. Right. I think I think what gets lost in today's game, and John Smoltz was touching on it a little bit on the MLB Network either last night or the night before, is everyone's a flamethrower now. No one's a pitcher anymore. Yeah. And that's why you see – that's why you're starting to see the home run totals start to climb again, the run score start to climb again because um, – People are going up there trying to blow a fastball by you in 98 rather than located on the corner of 93. Right. And you know that's what I mean? Point. Um, a 93-mile-per-hour yeah, sure. fastball located properly is more effective than a 98-mile-per-hour fastball right. over the plate. Down the middle, yeah, for sure. Um, certainly as being able to um, paint the inside corner and push them off the plate or located on the outside. Um, and that's, that, uh, you know, as a pitcher growing up, that me not being a, a guy that could blow anybody away with a fastball, that was one thing that I always worked on was trying to be able to hit um, the corners when I wanted to with my breaking ball and, and um, my fastball that wasn't dominant. And just being able to locate definitely gives you an advantage. And um, like you said, yeah, just, we're seeing a lot more guys that could throw 
um, in the high 90s um, come up through systems nowadays. You know, Blake Snell just uh, pitched yesterday or Saturday and was sitting high 90s on the gun. And he's, you know, the race top prospect. So we're seeing a lot of these guys come up. And you're right. I think, you know, the control aspect is uh, not looked at as heavily um, going through farm systems or even, you know, it starts in little league in high school. Um, it's just can this guy throw really hard and does he have a dominant out pitch um, rather than does this guy have great command though? I think we're seeing, uh, we talked about a little last week, Kenta Maeda, uh, you know, doesn't have dominating stuff, but it has really, really good command and is um, seeing some early success right now. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought him up because that's, that's what I was going to bring up um, based on, the, you know, the point I was trying to make here about, about the command. And on the opposite side of that, um, I mean, I'm biased because I'm a Yankees fan, and I obviously I watch the team a lot, but they, they have guys that all have great stuff. The problem is that they're so focused on just trying to blow people away, like a, a guy like Pineda and Evaldi. Pineda, they yeah. have dominant stuff, but they try and blow guys away, and instead of instead of taking down the velocity just a little bit and locating these pitches, they leave them right over the heart of the plate, and even a team like Tampa, who struggles to score runs, hits ton of home runs, ton of extra base hits, and put up a five spot on Pineda in the first inning yesterday. And um, I mean, I think I think you that's what you want to see is guys going back to that location, location, location. That's what made guys like Roy Halladay so dominant when he was pitching. That's what makes Jake Arrieta so so good. Jake right. Arrieta is not yeah, throwing ninety-seven miles per hour. He's locating three or four of his pitches consistently. Um, but Zach, firstly, we got a little bit. Of, off topic, although I actually had a lot of fun talking about these hot topics as opposed to breaking down some of these uh, MLB series. So, apologize to anyone who was uh, hoping to hear some breakdown of the MLB series. For that, you'll have to uh, check out the uh, Major League Fantasy Baseball Weekly, I guess, on Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, you can also check out the Major League Fantasy Sports Baseball Show, which is every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I do want to thank our partners at R&B Music and Major League Fantasy Sports. And, Zach, I mean, we got to take off now, man, but another great show. Anything you want to say before we bid farewell? No, it's another great show. Uh, looking forward to next Monday um, as we'll be able to break down where some of these some of these draftees go rather than speculating. And um, I'm sure there will be – some more draft day trades as there usually are. Um, I think we got the big ones out of the way, obviously. Um, but yeah, I'm you don't get much better than first two picks, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so we'll 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 have a good time breaking on that. It's a great show as always, brother. And as I said, uh, from the East Coast to the West Coast, baby. Bye bye. Yeah, man. Well, I'll see you next uh, Monday, 2 p.m. Eastern. And thanks to everyone who contributed to the show here today. On behalf of myself and Zach, thanks for tuning in. I'm Lee Landers. We'll be back next Monday. 